This is a Wool Observatory podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Space Oddity. Hi, I am Cody Halfmoon, and you are watching Star Stuff. Today we have a very exciting guest, Melissa. We've talked about her on the podcast um, recently, actually, in the past few months. We have had conversations about some of her books on our Star Stuff Discord. So I'm going to let you do your author introduction. If this was the back of one of your books, give oh. me the pic- paint me the picture. Okay. Well, I'm Melissa Sivany. Uh, what should I say? I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, and that's where I kind of fell in love with the desert and ecology and astronomy. And uh, yeah, I'm the author of three books, most recently Brave the Wild River, which is the story of two botanists who ran the Grand Canyon in 1938, and they both happen to be women. Um, So it's a fun story of adventure and science and feminism and lots of other things. Mm -hmm. And now I live here in Flagstaff, Arizona, where I am the science reporter at the local NPR station, KNAU. Mm -hmm. And I've already told you this, but I'm going to tell it to you because I want to brag about it. Um, I had a weekend planned at the Grand Canyon while Kevin uh, was our, Kevin Schindler, who's been on the podcast before, was our astronomer in residence. And so I inserted myself immediately and was there the first weekend because I'm like, oh, we're going to go hiking. And while he does his astronomer in residence thing, I'm going to like go off and explore the Grand Canyon in a way that I would not be able to. And you had seen him ahead of this at the Havasupai Gardens renaming ceremony, I believe. That's right. And gave him uh, a was it an advanced copy? It was an advanced copy. The book wasn't published yet. <laughs> I'm so special. Um, by manipulation and secrecy, not <laughs> not that I got an advanced copy. Kevin gets the advanced copies. But um, it was like early in the morning and I had my like cup of coffee that I'd stolen from El Tovar. And uh, I just was like, oh, I'll pop this open. I've heard her name. I've worked. We worked with you on some live streams. And um, I know you hosted one of our live streams with Alan Stern. Right, yeah. So that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So I start reading it, and then I look up, and it's like 1230, (laughs) and I'm like already, you know, a third of the way through the book, and I think I immediately wrote you an email, and I was like, I hate you. (laughs) You've ruined my trip to the Grand Canyon. I haven't left the house. I haven't seen anything, and I'm not going to because this book is so good. Oh, thank you. That was like the best email I got, and yeah, it was cool. It was before the book even came out. Really gave a boost to my confidence. I'm like, I'm yes. ruining people's Grand Canyon trips. Yes, you trips. are already ruining lives. <laughs> oh, no, it was it was so good, and I haven't read your other books. I actually. Um, remember writing like your introductory piece or whatever for live streams or for descriptions and um it's like oh yeah cool like a you know female author local like I want to read her stuff never never did it um and now I'm just uh I've bought a copy I've bought like six copies that are at my house by the way I didn't bring them um (laughs) but yeah I um the the way that you weave like um historical um I mean, I guess you'd say it's like a historical fiction, historical nonfiction. How do historical you Historical nonfiction. Yeah, it's a true yeah. story. It's all mm-hmm. based on archival research, you know, yes. the diaries of these two women. Um, but yeah, I wanted it to read like a novel to be like easy to turn the pages and keep going. I don't read nonfiction. Oh, wow. I am okay. pure sci-fi fiction. I've never read anything about botanists. I've never read anything. I have read Muir, um, okay. the essayist, but um, th- th- still like Muir's poetic it's you know the first time 
I was actually Raider who was like, oh, here's my favorite. Like he'll write all these essays. And I'm like, oh my God, like I love Raider. So I'll read the essays, but an essay really, <laughs> God. And I was just immediately sucked in. And I thought the same thing was like, oh, like nonfiction, whatever. Like I'm just curious. And I mean, I'm, it's a new chapter of my life now. Oh, that's I awesome. read nonfiction now. I'm so glad. Yes, I, I can go to parties and be like, nonfiction. <laughs> I like nonfiction. Right, right. It's yes, very nonfiction. exciting. Yeah. So what was your process? How did you? Well, I mean, I approached it as a science communicator, like a mm -hmm. science writer. So I went into the story being like, these women were botanists and, you know, they did this important plant collection. Like I wanted the reader to learn something about botany and the natural history of the Grand Canyon, mm -hmm. but I wanted to do it in a sneaky way. Like I was mm -hmm. going to give it, give them that information through this amazing adventure. You were tricking us. I was tricking you. <laughs> yes. And I think it, it worked. worked. I mean, you know, like I, I wanted, I wanted it to be easy to keep reading because you want to know what's going to happen to them. I mean, I wanted to know, right? Like when I first ran across the story, I was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard this story no, before. I've never heard of these women in my life. Right. And it's, it's incredible. You know, they were rafting, the, running the Grand Canyon at a time when women weren't doing that. And a bunch of people mm -hmm. were telling them like, don't go do that. That's a terrible idea. Mm -hmm. And of course they go anyway and they have a lot of bad things happen to them, which makes for, you know. <laughs> when she was on the bank of... That was before Colorado River? That was a different... That was in Cataract Canyon. Yes. Yeah, the very start of the trip. So they, oh my they God. Cataract Glen and Grand Canyon, more than 600 miles of river. And yeah, that was the that was the part that drew me into wanting to tell her story. I had just started dipping my toe in, and I learned that one of the women, Lois Jotter, got stranded Spoilers. on the riverbank. It's not too much of a spoiler because yeah. it's the opening of the book, right? That was when I was like, wait a second, I'm reading this. Yeah. That was yeah. the moment I was like, this is nonfiction. It was such a cool, like, moment for me because, like... She's, so she's stranded all night on the riverbank. Her companions are separated. She doesn't know what happened to them. Mm -hmm. It's a bad, Everything bad has happened to her that day. Mm -hmm. And, like, for me, I would have been terrified. Like, I don't know if you've ever spent, like, a night alone anywhere, <laughs> you know, like, outside. It's like, scary. You're listening to all the noises. Yeah. It's pretty spooky, you know? I would have been scared. But she writes this letter later describing this where she's just like, I built this fire and I made some toast, you know? And, like, she has this, like, wonderful evening. <laughs> And I just, I just love that about her. And I, I was like, I need to know this story. Yeah. And the, the intro too was so interesting because you gave a look at how women were treated in the sciences, specifically in this case, botany, how it was like sort of um, approved because it was like delicate and flowers, right. but any serious botanists were still men. Men. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. That was really interesting. I didn't know any of that history before I started researching the book. And I actually went into it thinking like... Like, okay, I knew that they were women scientists in the 1930s. I was like, I'm going to have to write about the sexism they faced. But to be honest, when I started the project, I kind of thought it would be like this like small kind of hilarious thread. You know, I mm -hmm. thought like, it's going to be so ridiculous what they were treated. And we're going to yeah. be like, that's just the past. And that was nonsense. That is not what happened at all. Like the more I got into it, the oh. more I was like, oh, she, yeah. I mean, it's like Ouch. now we're going dark, but it's like <laughs> all of this stuff still happens to women in the sciences mm -hmm. today. All of it. You Which know? we're going to talk about today. Oh my gosh. It's just, it was so, it was a little heartbreaking it to was. learn. Yeah. Um, it hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it was sad how relatable it was. And it's very much, um, so the thing that I really want to talk to you today about was science communication. Mm -hmm. uh, we sort of talked about this at Asteroid Day and our experience in science communication and how we got here. And I saw when I was reading even just the intro, I was like taking notes because I was like, this is so similar because 
there are like acceptable places for women in science where they don't get a lot of questioning, communications, marketing, that kind of thing. Right. You know what I mean? Anything like a softer sort of relation to right. the hard science. Right. And I know at one point, uh, I always joke like, well, I'm an English major. and um, But we were talking and we're both actually really good at math right. <laughs> and excelled in it. We're I took astronomy twice because I liked it oh, and I helped sure. grade papers. And yeah. I know you have a background in science. So tell me about that and if there are any parallels. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I always wanted to be a scientist as a kid, right? I mm -hmm. wanted to be a geologist. Um, I want to be an archaeologist. Oh, yes, of oh. course, right? And, you know, this changed over time. Like you know, for a while, I was like, ooh, astrobiology is really cool. And I was into that for a while. Um, I, I worked actually in high school for a Mars mission, the Phoenix Mars mission. No way. Which everybody forgot forgets about because it didn't have wheels you know it was a lander and people like the ones with wheels but mm. it was a really cool mission we were the first mission to like find I'm, I'm on a tangent now we were the first no, to like right. touch ice on mars anyway so like i was on a trajectory to like be a scientist mm -hmm. and i majored in environmental science it was at the university of arizona it was a pretty hard science degree you know organic chemistry great school calculus too. yeah you know and i was good at it i got a's in all my classes but I started taking creative writing classes. This is mm -hmm. the beginning of the end. Like part of my brain wanted to do a different kind of creative work. You know, mm -hmm. I, was, I needed to be like fill up that other half of my brain. So I started taking creative writing classes. And I, then I started to just kind of drift over into science communication. And mm -hmm. I fought it. Like I wanted to be a scientist and I fought it. And it's funny, like, you know, it's not that I'm in the wrong place, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I'm good at what I do, and mm -hmm. I, I feel satisfied with the kinds of stories I'm bringing mm -hmm. to the world. But I wonder sometimes, like, how yeah. would things have been different if I had had more confidence in math? Like, this yeah. is something young girls and women do to themselves, right? They get mm -hmm. great scores in math, but then they're like, I'm not good at math, right? Right. Uh, well, well, it's a chicken and egg. So it's like, is it because there are a lot of, like, psychologists out there <laughs> who will say really loose air quotes there I'm not even going to drop a name because I refuse um, who say like oh well women are just more talented at this statistically and this this and this whereas like if you look at statistics then women are way more talented at making less money too oh, oh. totally yeah. so we're if we're just at looking that. at numbers um, so what is it is it you know what we are more conditioned as we're growing up. I mean, I went to, I was at the Grand Canyon Monday and I was sitting in the visitor center. And even then I just heard, you know, a father tell us, like, that wasn't very ladylike. And uh, she's four. And I'm just like, oh, oh. Painful, painful. And it's one of those things. And I just remember like, yeah, I hear that all the time. I was told that all the time, even well-meaning, even not in a way that was, you know, um, meant to be, isolating but yeah. you think about how much communication is given to being ladylike and what that looks like and being soft right. and being gentle and being a geek does not fit no. and i think this is changing i hope it's changing but for you me, never hear girls being up, girls right exactly yeah you know for me growing up being a nerd was really really hard you know and i was taught to like pretend to be a little bit dumber than i actually was and not talk about how smart i was mm. and you know like not talk about the fact that i was into board games and superheroes and you know right. geek stuff astronomy oh, right like, i had like hermione uh, and like other right like women in 
fiction that I would be reading that I was like, I want to aspire to be like this person. Thank goodness for fiction, for books, you know, yeah. opening these worlds where yeah. like, it's like yes. I want to be the first with my hand raised. Yeah. And that was my favorite character. And I actually do know the answers. And yes, exactly. I was immediately, of course, chastised and made fun of for it. But I was like, so was Hermione. Um. <laughs> right, right. Thank goodness for those fictional characters. And for the non-fictional ones too, like finding Elzana Clover and Lois Jodder. Uh, I was like, oh, why didn't I know why didn't that I know? women like this existed? Any woman in right? science. I can't yeah. even. Because like if you like, if you ask people for the name of a scientist, like if they come up with anyone, it's going to be Albert Einstein or yeah. maybe Stephen Hawking. You know, Our like calculators the, here at Lowell were women. The moon right. mappers were women. Right. There were so many of them. And yet like it. It, there's still this impression that it's this void. And I really got like, you know, people tried to encourage me when I would say I was interested in becoming a scientist. They would say, oh, we need women in science. You're going to be a path like A path make, breaker. Yes. Yeah, right. You're going to be groundbreaking. And yes. that was such the wrong thing to say. How stressful. So much pressure. So much pressure to think that you're going into this world where it's like nobody is like you there. Mm -hmm. And that's just not true. Yes. I mean, women have always been doing science. Mm -hmm. All kinds of women, all ages, all level of ability when any minority too of it's course. like there's yeah. an expectation well oh you're going to be the token whatever yeah you're going to act like this and you have to be more leveled in how you communicate because yeah. you're now representing this entire demographic that you never signed up to and represent you have to be better than everyone else and you right? have to be better <laughs> you, you can't just yourself. be okay you, you can't, can't be, be middle ordinary. of the line right which most scientists are ordinary just right ordinary you scientists. don't have to be a genius you don't have to be mm -hmm. remarkable you know mm -hmm. you can just be an ordinary person curious mm -hmm. about the world right oh my gosh it's so hard to be normal and regular yeah. I mean, and I think that's a human condition. It, it is difficult to just be regular at a thing. But I think when you get into like niche, like especially like a science or something like that, and the more niche you get, especially if you're representing a demographic, it's, it ha I mean, it's so much pressure. Yeah. And yeah. that's what my astronomy professor told me. She's like, oh, we can get you to UT. And it was because I couldn't afford a school with an astronomy program. Sure. Uh, and it didn't actually occur to me to leave Texas, which is a part of uh, signs of being in a cult. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it was, um, you know, like, oh, the same thing we really like, I would love more like women mm -hmm. into like astronomy and space. I'm like, oh God, now I'm going to be like alone and with all these people that I won't be able to like, I don't know connect with I guess I'm gonna be this weird outsider yeah you have scary. that sense and that is scary and mm -hmm. it's really it's heartbreaking to me because you know we were just talking you know like at one of my readings I met a young girl who told me she wanted to be the Kyler's first daughter yes she um, wanted to be the first Kyler woman on Keen's Mars been on the podcast, which yeah. was just such a wonderful thing to hear you know and like there's these little girls everywhere who have these dreams of being in science mm -hmm. and there's just the obstacles put in their way, like disproportionate obstacles. You know, it's not just that they have to be smarter or they have to be dedicated. Like they have to overcome this whole ridiculous obstacle course that mm -hmm. other people don't face. Mm -hmm. And it's really heartbreaking. And like now that I now that I like have the perspective of being able to look back over my career trajectory, like moving into SciComm, like 
it's okay that I'm here because I'm hoping I can I can change that for some yeah. people coming up behind me. Like I can start shining a light on those obstacles and chipping away at them. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder, I still wonder, am I here mm-hmm. because I was pushed here, you know? Yeah. Uh, or that this was the only outlet for communications and creativity because I also mm. think there's such a crazy divide. When I talk to our science team, the biggest thing, I mean, we're looking at like doing PR training and communication stuff, is needing more people who are great at communicating in science because it is such a useful skill in science, which, you know, like with grants, with um, science communications as a scientist, that's a huge thing. I mean, scientists publish books all the time. You know what I mean? But that's not talked about. It's It's either one or the other. It's weird that it's even considered a split. You know, there's like, there's old papers that I've read that like Lowell Observatory papers from like a hundred years ago, like describing like solar eclipses. Mm -hmm. It used to be when you publish a scientific paper, you're actually telling a story and they got into it and the beautiful descriptions. Poetic. Very poetic, you know, and somewhere along the way, it's like, if it makes sense, it's no longer science. Like, if it's understandable, it's not real science. It's ridiculous, you know. And it's not true. It's not true. especially astronomy is so poetic just in its nature. It is. It's a natural storytelling. Like, you're trying to uncover the story. So is geology. Of course. Oh, my God. I mean, all science is true. It's all about investigating a story Mm -hmm. and uncovering it. And, yeah, Mm -hmm. I don't know why we'd stop thinking thinking about it that way. Right. So it's like if you are good at writing, creative, whatever, and and communications, whether that be because that's who you are or because of slow conditioning through life of focusing on that versus anything else – there's still such a need for that in the sciences. And I know that there have been some efforts like STEAM versus STEM, mm-hmm. right, in putting arts in there, uh, which is nice. But um, I even don't think it needs to be separate, like, at all. Like It should just be wrapped in, right? Like It should just be. Even math is, can be poetic. Oh, of course. Oh, my God. Yeah. Biology. I mean, it's all just like, I don't know. I was in uh, Brightside um bookstore yesterday and looking at this one it was a a doctor it reminded me of us talking today as a um a surgeon and she'd written a book about like the beauty of the anatomy of the body and all the secrets of the body and all these ways that parts of the body talk to each other Mm. and i opened it up and it was storytelling it was poetic and you were learning stuff yeah I felt like that and even like in my organic chemistry classes, like I'd be sitting there supposed to, you know, I'm supposed to be learning whatever, you know, mm-hmm. organic chemistry. And I'd be listening for the stories and be like, what does this like molecule do in the world? You yeah. know, just those stories are there. And for some reason, we've kind of decided to bury them under like this weight of like facts and figures. You yeah. Know? Stories are seen as more subjective, which is they are, but that's why they can move people and mm-hmm. inspire people. Yeah. You know? So I'm curious how... Um, so we kind of talked about when you were looking into the sciences, there was that pressure of, we need a woman in science, be, mm. be the woman in science, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so then you went the more creative route, but I mean, you still ended up in science, obviously you are, uh, you know, science journalist and you talk, we have you host events and MC and interview our scientists all the time. And, um, you're because you're able to do so in such a way that you you know exactly what they're talking about and you know the way to ask the questions that a person who wasn't a scientific journalist wouldn't be able to. Sure. Um, but now also, like, you hear, like, Kyler's daughter, like, oh, because of you, I want to be, like, that's so inspirational. In some ways, is it just a woman in science on the other glove where now you're woman in science 
in communication. Do you know what I mean? It's so hard. Yeah, it's so hard. I mean, ideally, right, we'll get to a world where we we don't have to describe ourselves that right. way anymore, where we're just scientists, right? Yeah. We can drop the, the woman, you know? Oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't think we're quite can there imagine? yet, right? Because because representation does matter, mm -hmm. right? So well, especially now that we barely have any. That we barely have any, exactly. But, mm -hmm. I mean, eventually there's a world, right, where where we're just, we just introduce ourselves to scientists, oh my gosh. you know? No qualifiers. I saw a wall of quotes for uh, astronomers and they were all just names and then the dates they were born and died, right? And they're mm -hmm. famous quotes. And one of them, it was said her name, the year she was born and died, and then it said African-American woman. Oh no. None of the others had any qualifiers. Oh, see, that's and I'm terrible. just like, that's terrible. Oh no. Like the, the fact that we have to do that and that people don't feel like that representation is automatic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then showing like, look, we've, represented like we have someone and yeah. all of those things and it's such a nuanced thing because then you're like well I'm glad that you know we have a fair representation of what is actually reflected in be people who work in science right because uh, it could be more diverse but it already is beautifully diverse as your your book showed it already is people yeah. have existed <laughs> in these sciences for a long time and that diversity matters right that mm -hmm. people with different backgrounds are going to ask different questions they're going to approach problems in different ways mm -hmm. you know like it really it strengthens strengthens science right to have di diversity so do we point that out or do we not or is are we still in an era of like representation i know even some authors will um have a uh, like an author, like a pen name that mm. is asexual or oh, not sure. gender specific. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, do you see that you are introduced as a female author versus author? Um, not too often. Or a not female too often. science author I think or anything like I that. I think it's being an author, I think is it's less unexpected, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, there are plenty of women who are publishing books or in SciComm, but if, if you're in the hard sciences, it's still happening, right? I remember okay. a few years ago, um, a NASA mission was selected and I, I saw a newspaper headline here in Arizona that said, woman professor selected to lead what? NASA mission. Oh, <laughs> mind boggling. A woman so professor? Like, so surprising. You know, so that like, I, yes, I would like a world where that stops happening but i think you know it's headline worthy that a woman gets to do yeah thing. right i mean like and i approach it in different ways like mm -hmm. in the stories i tell for npr i try to just kind of introduce the diversity without necessarily commenting on it like i just try to like have female voices right you know obvious yeah. but in this book that i wrote in brave the wild river i i found i couldn't quite do that i yeah. tried in my first draft like i just wanted to represent them as botanists but because it was the 1930s and because they had to overcome so much sexism mm -hmm. I had to stop and point it out, you know, yeah. like, and I tried to do it with a light hand, um, but mm -hmm. it was still something that had to be addressed. And I think we're still there in that place where we have to point it out sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and do you think that um, maybe like more communications or books or even like nonfiction, like what you've written about women in science, um, is there like a movement toward that? Have you seen more 
um, other books like that that sort of inspired you? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Hidden Figures, you know, yeah. really like opened up a whole world for everyone. It I read really that did. book. I've already thought like, about it twice in this podcast. Yes, I know. Like that, that felt like a watershed moment to me mm-hmm. where people were like, gosh, these women really have been here all along yeah. and their stories are fascinating and mm-hmm. important, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one that inspired me. And there's, there's others, you know, Rise of the Rocket Girls, um, you know, uh, Women in White Coats, you know, just like other really wonderful books that have come out some since then that have been really inspirational mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it yeah. is changing. Um, I think I think it's opening up. And in my own career, like I got to say, my first book did a terrible job at representing women. Like I really did because mm-hmm. I didn't have. I was you know it was a book about planetary science, mm-hmm. and I didn't I didn't have the skills then or the persistence to figure out how to find women's stories that have yeah. been buried. They're hard to find. They're hard to find, and it's you know there's layers and layers of complication there of like why these stories have mm-hmm. been buried, and it's not because they weren't doing important things, mm-hmm. right? And so unpeeling that takes a certain amount of persistence and skill that I hadn't yet developed. And so my first book really is almost entirely about men. And that's, you know, that progression, like becoming better at my job and becoming more aware of why and how those mm-hmm. stories get buried and how to find them. Like that's that's difficult to do. Well, it's a perpetual motion machine because you have to look at what has already been written. You know what I mean? Yeah. And what research is available to you. And, and what stories are available to you. And it makes you wonder, like, I mean, Brave the Wild River, I was able to tell the story because both women kept diaries and they saved the diaries and they donated the diaries to archives. Mm-hmm. And if they hadn't done that, if they hadn't felt in themselves like this story is important and I want it to be preserved for history, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to tell it. And it makes you wonder how many stories get lost because oh, yeah. n- there's no archive that will take the material or, you know, mm-hmm. nobody feels like it's important enough to save. Yeah. Um, I remember... Uh, realizing that I was doing studies on Jonathan Swift. I think you and I kind of talked about it when I was in university. Mm. And I realized that through, he had this thing called Journals to Stella, where he wrote back and forth to this woman named Stella, who I did name my car after. I love her so much. (laughs) And she helped him through his satirical voice and a lot of that perspective and tone and just all of that that built his his voice in satire literature mm. that led to all of the stuff that he was famous for. And I'm not saying like she's going to get credit for that or anything, but it's just interesting because, um, you know, you think of even in literature, you think of like women in satire. What? Who? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Women weren't funny back then. And then you read these, <laughs> you read, you read these letters and they're just, um, they are uh, very colorful. That's awesome. <laughs> they are, yeah. She was uh, raunchy and loud and beautiful and mm. crass and not afraid of it and still in society and didn't care. And th- these women existed and inspired authors and were these muses. And, um, you know, you think of a woman in Swift's time. No. Yeah. Laughter? Yeah. Laughter. What? We, we didn't laugh. I crass love jokes? Oh, it's not ladylike. <laughs> Shocking, not ladylike. Shocking, <laughs> right? But the funny thing is, like, no women. <laughs> women no. are not ladylike, right? No. The ladylike is something that's been created for no. us. We've proven that today. <laughs> showing right. up, we're like, ah, oh, crap. We <laughs> forgot we were on video. I didn't even know what I'm, I'm wearing. wearing a skull I know. Shirt. Whatever. Whatever. It's, it's all good. It's all good. Oopsies. Yep. Oops. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was a purposeful statement. About like feminism or it something. It was, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the way we rolled out of bed yes. this morning. <laughs> and it's kind of, it's so hard to be like a good feminist. 
Yeah, you know, oh. that's so complicated. How do you and do why it? is it complicated? It shouldn't why? be complicated, it is. right? It's, it people, shouldn't be. People should just be able to move through the world and however they mm-hmm. wish, you know, and have and have you know, what makes me sad is like like people are born with this innate curiosity about this mm-hmm. world, you know, like all kinds of people are just born with that. And it gets like stamped out of you. You yeah. know, at some point you're like, for whatever the reason you're told, you are not the one who should be curious and asking questions. Mm-hmm. You must be quiet in the corner. Right. You know, and there's always a man who that? will be love to talk about your work anyway. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, they've got it covered. <laughs> they have it covered. It's all good. Yeah. And it's just like such a capacity is being lost, you mm-hmm. know, and like all of yeah. these people who are working jobs that maybe aren't quite right for them and that mm-hmm. they should be off doing something else you know and it's so interesting too because so many male scientists want this also like they want more diversity there are studies about how diversity in science helps science it's just science right (laughs) i mean it's math it's like the more perspectives the more um background all of these other things in science is what makes science like yeah it's a human endeavor it's a human humans endeavor. must do it and um and it feels almost like we're at this point from what i've seen is that it's almost like frozen where it's like we all know we want this but it's like how how do we do this Don't without just saying change for it yeah you know and because how do you? it's like this big monolith questions. yeah it's a big question you know i the, uh, I had like a, a, a when I was a kid, I went to an astronomy camp in Hawaii. I you won did? this in a science fair competition. You're such a nerd. I love I'm you. I'm such a nerd. I couldn't have <laughs> ever afforded to do this, but I won in a national science competition, a two week astronomy camp in Hawaii, and that was like really opened my eyes to just like what astronomy and astrobiology was. Anyway, so did I was studying this telescope? two weeks. Oh, you know, okay. Side note, I was I was 14, and okay. to get to the top of Mauna Kea, you have to be like 15. Oh, no. I begged and begged. I told them Melissa. I would sign any paperwork they wanted, but they left me at the bottom of the mountain. I have yet to go to the top. Anyway. So heartbroken. <laughs> it was a really heartbreaking story. <laughs> one day. One day I will get there. Oh, uh, anyway, one of the really eye-opening moments at that that um, we were having lectures from guest people, and there was this awesome female scientist. <laughs> I should, should just call her a scientist. Um, who came and talked about a mission that was going to like smash into or drill into a comet. And I was like enthralled by this. And one of the other speakers that day was um, an indigenous astronomer. I think he was Cherokee. And at the end during the Q&A, he stood up and he said, you know, my people believe that comets are embryos. And the silence just fell in the room, like this dead silence. And then like the, the adults like, ushered all of the children, all of us children out to like go make ice cream while they had a discussion about what had just happened. I think about that all the time and I wish they had left us in the room to because I would have liked to hear what happened. But the thing is, is like you can't just be like diversity is great. Please come join us in our Mm -hmm. in our world. You have to open the world to meet people. And that can be difficult sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like maybe the way we're doing some of these space missions isn't conducive to having indigenous scientists on board. Like how do we actually open this world Mm -hmm. for all kinds of people to be welcome well and there's a fear too of getting it wrong yeah i know that that that's for sure and i know that from social media a lot of people are afraid of misstepping which is like good intentions but lead to just not doing anything is just as bad just being frozen Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah and i i see that a lot and i know um you know that was one thing a few years ago we started um working closer with our naop um staff because we have staff here Native American Astronomy Program is here at Lowell. Uh, And I learned that when we're doing a lunar eclipse, 
to do a trigger warning or a heads up. Absolutely. Because it is a time of mourning Mm -hmm. and they don't observe the eclipse. And um, typically the indigenous people of these tribes know not to look and they're not going to look online. But um, it was just like, well, we didn't know how to do it. And so so it was like, all right, well, let's sit down and figure out how to do it. Let's ask. Let's figure this out. Let's Let's ask the questions. Get it wrong and have someone, if they want, like correct us or we can have a conversation because like being open to not being the perfect feminist or the perfect represent or the perfect ally is just closing yourself off to it is it not is. making any movement. So like your yeah. first book, you're like, you know, oh, could have been better, could have added more, you know, representation. Right. But if you didn't do that book and get it wrong, yeah, then you wouldn't have done your second book. Absolutely, that wouldn't have led to this book that, and all of these books that now have a woman wanting to go to Mars. Yeah, it's small steps, but you have to be stepping right. Yes. You have to be moving, and yeah. it's going to get easier the more we have people of different backgrounds in leadership positions. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so we won't have to be asking these questions of how to do this. They're going to be the leaders who are just mm-hmm. showing us how to do it. You know. Right. And oh, that world's coming. It's coming, right? It's gonna happen. It's coming. Yeah. yeah. And I think uh, I think the steps that you're taking have obviously already started inspiring people. I had no clue about botany. I couldn't have told you one thing about it. And after reading that book, I was seriously like, I could have been a botanist. <laughs> I was like, this could have been me. I love these things, but I didn't even. It wasn't an option. It wasn't, it wasn't on yeah. my radar of any kind of science. This is the funny thing about science communication is like every interview I do, I'm like, I want to have your career, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like, which is sort of the nice thing is yeah. I get to dabble in all of it. Like it would have been true. hard for me to choose between geology and astronomy and environmental science and botany. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, it's fun. I get to, I get to dip my toe in all of those fields. So. Yeah. It's, uh. And I think the representation of the science is really cool, too, because you think usually when we say your name at Lowell, it's just related to astronomy. And so you think botany and you're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> and but that is so also, as you know, I mean, so relevant to space and research, too, is understanding um, like astrobiology. We have two episodes, I think, just on astrobiology. So fascinating. <sighs> I love astrobiology. Yeah. You know, for me, it's all about like, all branches of science are about understanding the world in which we live, like mm-hmm. this planet, this universe, you know, mm-hmm. it's all about connecting deeper with the right. place that we live. And if that's not spiritual, what is? Oh, totally. Right. Totally. Yeah. Um, was there anything else on your mind, I guess, specifically towards science communications? And what I always like to say is a lot of our listeners, um, demographic wise, we're stalking you. <laughs> um, a lot of our listeners are in college right now or... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in that like early decision era of their career. And as as a female scientist <laughs> author, <laughs> um, I guess, do you have any advice? I know usually it's like, you know, don't be afraid, like don't be curious, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, but I guess specifically in a fear of maybe being, the pressure of being the one to get it right. And the very real challenges that come if you're not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that takes courage, right? And how do you instill that on people? I would say um, find your people. You know what I mean? Like find find people who understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. Create those groups, those networks for yourself. Have that safe place where mm-hmm. you can just talk about stuff with, with other folks who are going through the same thing. Like, you know, look for, look for the people who are going to support you and mm-hmm. help you and, you know, hold you up. That makes all of the difference in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And if we wanted to buy your book. 
Do you have a, yes. a spot that we can go by? If it? you're here in Flagstaff, you know, you can go down to Brightside Books. Yes. Um, I think they also have it at Bookman's and Barnes and Noble. So mm-hmm. go ask there. Yeah, support your local bookstores. Uh, but you can find it anywhere, anywhere the books are sold. So Okay, got it. And do you have a website? or? Anything? Yeah, it's my name. Sorry, my name is complicated. MelissaSiveny.com. How do you spell Siveny? Oh, gosh. Uh, S-E-V as in Victor. I-G. And why? We'll do like a Sesame Street. Like we'll spell it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got that, Nate? We got like ding, ding. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> we'll do it. No problem. We'll just whip it up in post. I say that and Nate's behind the camera like, oh, <laughs> Shaking <God>. his head. <laughs> Animation. Uh-oh. Okay. Well, that is all the time we have today. But please follow Melissa online. Do you have Twitter? I know you have Twitter. I have Twitter. Do we still do X? Twitter? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it's called anymore. I'm currently still there. For the time being. At time of publication, <laughs> Twitter time. is still alive. It's still kind of alive. Um, oh, yeah, that might change uh, depending on when we post this episode. Yeah. Um, where else can we find you? Maybe I don't not know Twitter. yet. I mean, my website has a contact form. You can email me through the website. <laughs> I'm not on anything else yet. I'll, I'm going to wait for it all to shake out. And yeah. you'll be able to find or, me somewhere. Just dissolve social media. <laughs> dissolve it just like go back to email didn't you just sometimes just email miss me. social emails email was nice hey, send me a social email I sent email. you an email <gasps> you did you said you didn't contact me through social media I didn't it was fantastic I sent and you I, like a I, real email I print out the nice ones and I put them it's on like, my bulletin board dearest darlingest Melissa yes, <laughs> yes. write a write a letter snail mail snail <laughs> mail write a postcard that'd be great uh, um, we'll find you on your website and we'll put it's if it's okay We'll put your website and everything oh, in, yeah. in the description. Sure. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. This was for, fun. Yeah, this was fun. And they are, you know, difficult conversations. And I don't think we came to any answers. And our lesson is that's okay. That's okay. We don't have to be the ones don't to come up with. Don't have to have answers. No, we really don't. <laughs> thank God. <laughs> um, anyway, yes, tune in um, to our Discord to continue conversations about Melissa and her work. And uh, share the book with your friends. Buy from your local bookstores. And I hope you enjoyed the episode and keep watching. Bye. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.